And next up, we have a very good friend of mine, Benjamin Conway, who is the pastor, him and his wife, pastor, uh, Tree of Life Churches, family of churches in the United Kingdom. And uh, they planted uh, the first Tree of Life in 2009. And um, we initially met on Facebook. I... <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> the Sorry, anointing is flowing. So <laughs> uh, ben is, 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 is awesome. <laughs> and uh, we met online, uh, uh, actually on Facebook. Uh, he, he, a friend of mine quoted him and I was like, wow, I like this uh, quote. And so I uh, became Facebook friends and we were chatting. And, and then he, he, he was saying how he's getting ready to, uh, yes, Ben just blew in. And then he uh, he was talking about coming to Africa to Kenya or something, and and I was like, uh, you know, I, I did what the typical African pastor does. When are you coming to South Africa? <laughs> I just realized now I was being very uh, <laughs> African in my approach there, and uh, he was like, I'll come, and he came, and uh, we've been friends since for a, a good number of years now. We've ministered in uh, the United States together, in the UK together, in uh, Albania together, in South Africa together. We've ministered in Zimbabwe together. And I haven't ministered with another minister in so many nations. Um, and it's not about the number of nations, but it's, uh, that says something about um, uh, my view of Ben, that, that I, I really appreciate and love him and Amanda and Tree of Life. It's, it's home from home when we're there. And, um, you know, I just commend Ben to you as a, uh, he's got an apostolic gift. Uh, uh, he's got the heart of a, a father to, 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 to shepherd people and help them grow up and, and reach their potential and live in their dreams. And uh, you, you will not be disappointed if you just open your ears and, and receive uh, and just listen to what he's got to say. A lot of experience. They've planted a number of churches and uh, I can't even remember which is the latest, but even in the last couple of days, weeks, more have, have started and uh it's just amazing and inspiring and uh, you're in for a treat so ben go for it thanks shane awesome is my sound on now everything's fine everything's good we know you can hear me praise god <laughs> well yeah we're starting church number seven in three weeks time and that's going to be in suffolk and i spent a good uh, couple of years looking for a pastor for that location and i found him it's me i'm going to be pastoring that one myself so that's Amen. great glory to god um so i want to talk about my first session today about character and leadership because one of the things you have to realize one of the things you have to understand um, especially those of you who are you know about to plant church <coughs> about to launch out in ministry is there's new temptations that come okay let me try and put this in a sense if you're watching this today, you're broke, okay? Every every time you get paid, that's just enough to make it for that month. You haven't got any extra money. Um, you, you, you've got some temptations in your life. There are certain things you, you might be tempted to do that are sinful and selfish and evil. But if I suddenly gave you 10 million pounds and said, there, that's yours, keep it, you would suddenly have different temptations. You would have different temptations. Your flesh would have the ability to do things wrong, selfish things that you didn't have the ability before. And when you become a leader, you, you open the door to do temptations. And sometimes we see leaders fall. We go, how did that happen? And often it's because they never thought, they never prepared their hearts, they never worked on their character because they never thought they'd be in a position to do that kind of stuff. And uh, Shane's already said so powerfully that when he's looking for leaders, he's looking for faithful people. 
Yeah, he's looking for people who are faithful. And so when I'm looking for leaders, I look, first of all, for character. That's the first thing I look for, my three C's of leadership. First one is character. The second one is capability. Can they do the job? Can they lead? And both of them rest on faithfulness. Then the third one is compatibility. In other words, that person has got the character to be a great elder, a great pastor. They've got the capability to be a great elder, a great pastor, but maybe they couldn't be an elder or pastor in Tree of Life. They don't fit with me and Amanda. They don't fit with our vision. They don't fit with what we're doing. So that person wouldn't be considered. And the foundation of these three things, character, capability, compatibility, and please chip in at any time, ask questions. I'll make it as interactive as you want. And the next session after this is me. So if I'm going over, then I'm just cutting my own time out. You know, so if you want to ask something, please do. The foundation of all these is character, and the foundation of all leadership is character. And so I want to just talk a little bit about the temptations that are unique to leadership, just to give you a little bit of a checklist. I'm not going to do any great teaching today. I'm just giving you some food, food for thought. And as your leadership capacity grows, these temptations will be bigger. John Wesley used to talk about the, the, the weaknesses of poverty and the weaknesses of prosperity. And he said the harder ones to overcome are the weaknesses of prosperity. Um, in other words, there are temptations that you might have when you fail in life, and there are temptations you might have when you succeed in life. And the, the success temptations are actually harder. And as you find out more about your identity in Christ, as you find out more about how to live in victory, you find out more how to stand in faith, how to you know, receive that grace life, then there are more temptations. And so the number one temptation that you will face as a church planter, the number one temptation you will face as a church planter, is the temptation to think that you are indispensable. I sometimes call this the arrogance of leadership. Because someone who's not a leader in a church will never have this thought. Oh, this church can't function without me. Because it was going before they started. This church that you've planted, it wasn't there until you planted it. So it's very easy for you to start thinking, well, this wouldn't be here without me. Uh, this church couldn't survive without me. Nothing could happen without me. Nothing good could happen in this church without me. And there's also another thing as well. And again, I'm just trying to throw thoughts out there to help you think. But when I started Tree of Life in Dagenham, when I started all the Tree of Lives, um, we had a lot of opposition. We had a lot of people against us. Both Shane and Mark have spoke about persecution today. You know, we had people, you can't plant a church, you can't do it. And I had to really zone in and just ignore everybody, right? I, I developed the ability to ignore everybody's opinion on everything. And uh, if I hadn't done that, we wouldn't have started Tree of Life. We wouldn't have gone on TV. We wouldn't have started other churches. We wouldn't have started Heal the Nations Conference. We wouldn't have started our Leadership Academy. None of it would have started if I had, had ever listened to anyone's advice. I had to ignore everybody and just do what God called me to do. And if you're going to plant a church, you have to be in that same position, this apostolic um, confidence that this is what God has said. And I don't care if the rest of the world says, no, God has said, yes, and I'll do it. But when you start to grow, and uh, the cutoff point for me was when our turnover reached about £300,000 a year. You'll have to convert that to your own currency. Um, but I couldn't do it all on anymore. And by now, people could see that I was doing something. They could see I had credibility, that I had fruitfulness. And so I had to stop and learn how to listen to others and learn I'm not indispensable. I can't do it all. I can't do everything. And actually, to get any further than where we're going, we need a team. And so the one thing that happens is you get this nagging thought that the world won't move without you. So you can't delegate, you can't build structure, you can't build systems, and you can't grow the church. It will be a great church up until about 30 people, 40 people, maybe 50 people if you're really charismatic and got great personality. I mean, you might even get it to 100 if you're in a good enough area and the other churches are bad enough, but you won't get beyond there because it'll just grow and people will leave and people will come and people will leave because you haven't built systems, you can't delegate, you, you, you can only work so many hours a week, you can only go so many days without sleeping, and you can only pull a 17, 18 hour day so many days in a row. 
So you need to get rid of that temptation. You know, you need a team. God's going to bring good people to you and they're going to be able to do things. You, you've been designed by God deficient by design. You are deficient by design. Have you thought about that? You're deficient by design. There's certain things I can't do. I'm deficient by design, but I need other people and they can do them. And what I hate to do, some, some people love to do. You know, when I found the guy who started doing my bookkeeping and he loves doing bookkeeping, I almost cried. In fact, I did cry at least twice. Man, I'll tell you, I came with the phone with this guy a couple of times crying because he can do in two hours what I take three days to do because he loves it. It's his calling. It's what he's designed to do. And now by team, we're getting things done. Okay, so number one, you need to give it that nagging thought. Number two, um, there's a presumption because we're good in one thing, we can be good in other things. That's not true. You know, I'm a great preacher. I'm confident enough to tell you I'm a great preacher, but don't don't put me in the worship band. I can't carry a tune. If you put the tune in a box and put the box in my pocket, I still can't carry it. I can't do that. That's, that's, that's outside my realm of ability. So what do I do? I get other people to come and do that because they're strong in that. You need team. And it really what happens is you then can't serve because you, you think, well, I'm just the top of every pile. No, you're not. Those who should be great among you, said Jesus, should be servant of all. So that's the number one temptation to lead us, temptation to be uh, think you're indispensable. That's a bad temptation. Write it down. Make sure you resist it. Make sure you declare that you're deficient by design. I know it's, well, I'm complete in Christ. I can do all things through Christ. Yeah, you can do all things through Christ, but Christ hasn't designed you to do all things. So some things are not through Christ for you, that you're not anointed to do them. You're not called to do them. So find the person who is called to do them and, and promote them. You know, when you start off, when you pioneer, you do have to do everything, okay? But as things grow, you need to realize what's your sweet spot? What are the things you're excellent in? What are the things you're good in? And then what are the things you're bad in? What are the things you're terrible in? Everybody, everything you've excellent, good, bad, or terrible. You, you can you can break into those four categories quite easily. And you do a great, you do yourself a great service. Which is why I'm excellent at this. And be, be honest with yourself. If you don't, if you're not at that capability, if you're not at that level, you can be that honest with yourself. You know, sit down with Shane or whoever's got sort of apostolic oversight over your network, whoever you look to as spiritual leadership, and say, well, what am I excellent? What am I good in? What am I bad and what am I terrible in? Uh, or show them the list you've made and say, is there anything you think I should move category on? And then when you're planting that church, your first thought is, my first thought is to get people into those positions and delegate to them. The temptation, another temptation for church plants is to become overly busy. Then you get stressed then you get agitated. You need to have rest. You need to build rest into your life. You need to put rest in your diary. It's a rest day. You need to put margins in your life. You understand margins like the edge of the paper. You don't write on them. And so you need parts of your life. I don't write on that. You know, I used to go to America and hear Andrew Walmart preach and I'd fly back Saturday, land at Heathrow 7 a.m., uh, drive from Heathrow to my church, get there for nine, help set up and then preach at 11. They weren't my best sermons. I was jet lagged. I was dizzy. Someone got blessed in them. It was the grace of God. They got blessed. So now I put margin in my life. I come back Friday or I come back maybe Monday, Tuesday, the next week, have a couple of days rest in the States, get someone else to preach. Now, obviously, if you don't have someone else to preach and you're, you're the church planner, maybe you don't need to go to America just yet. You know, so you need to think those things through, but you need to put rest in your calendar. Number three, this is a big temptation. The temptation to become cynical. You're going to get let down. People are going to let you down. If you're planning a church, people are going to let you down over and over again. Okay, I'm just telling you that now. I'm not trying to prophesy doom and gloom over you, but every time you get 12 of something, one of them will be a Judas, roughly. You get 12 people in your church, one of them's going to stab you in the back. You get 12 elders, one's going to stab you in the back. You get 12 pastors, one's going to stab you in the back. Just on average, just playing the numbers there. Well, that'll never happen to me. I'm what, you're more amazing than Jesus. Come on now, get over yourself. So you get let down so many times. And the more your leadership capacity increases, the more people you lead, the more you'll be let down. 
And so it's easy for what John Maxwell calls emotional petrification. You know, you, your heart gets hard to people. You lose hope in people. The next couple come through the door and you think, well, I wonder how long they're going to be here. You become cynical. There's very little that can be worse for somebody's life than to go to a church where the pastor's lost their heart. The pastor's become a cynic. Don't, don't let that happen to you. Keep your heart soft. Pray for the people in your church. Love the people in your church. There's a temptation to think we can solve every problem if we just plan enough. You know, Shane was talking about that, that, that conference he went to. Where everything was planned out to the last detail, but something was missing. Something wasn't there. So when you start to plan for the first time, when you start to set priorities for the first time, you think, man, this is awesome. Planning's awesome. Rather than just turn up every week and just preach the first thing that comes to my head, I'm going to build a sermon calendar. Oh, this is all it is, and then they're awesome. But then, just like Mark said, you can idolize the building. You can idolize the dream. You can idolize the boat. You can idolize the plan. And the plan then becomes the idol. The structure becomes the idol. The theme becomes the idol. No, you need to be flexible. I believe in planning. But I would say even now, at the stage I'm at, 30% of my life is still reactive. It's just, okay, let's deal with this right now. Let's get on the ground and deal with this. Okay, this doesn't fit the plan. That's okay. I made the plan. I can change the plan. Hope this is helping. Number five, the temptation to forget whose shoulders you're standing on. That's from an Isaac Newton quote. Isaac Newton said, we're only great if we stand on the shoulders of great men. You know, without your past, without the people who nurtured you, who mentored you, without your pastors and your leaders in your life, you would be nothing. I dread to think where I'd be without the pastors and leaders and father figures I've had in my life. I'd be nothing. I'd be nowhere. Never forget who nurtured you. Never forget who mentored you. Never, ever forget. So some of the people that are uh, leaders in my life, uh, one person recently sat down with me and a man and helped us through some stuff, and a man and I gave him a donation. And he said, no one's ever come back and give me a donation. Well, this guy's dispensing wisdom to so many pastors across our country. People forget. Don't forget. Don't ever forget. You know, I know a guy who came to the UK. He was sent out by a South African church planning group, not Shane's group, another group. And he came to the UK. And the first thing he did in the UK was he pulled out from out of that group and tried to join another group. I was like, that group fed you and they paid for you and they pastored you and they sent you here and they raised an offering for you and they bought your pulpit and they did this and they did that. I, I don't understand that. You know, if you go to the dance, dance with the person who brought you to the dance and drove you there and paid for you to go there. You know, don't ever forget whose shoulders you're standing on. Don't ever forget who lifted you to where you are. And number six is the temptation for comparison. And again, this has been really addressed, um, certainly in every session I've listened to of this conference, this comparison trap. Never compare yourself to others unless it's in that inspirational sense. You know, hey, man, that's a great idea. I could adapt that and do that and really help some people like they're helping people. Like that, that's allowed. Compare yourself with yourself. Hold yourself to account based on where you've come from, not based on someone else. who has got a different background, different gifting, different uh, social setting, different culture they're working with, different calling, different anointing, different gifts. If you start comparing, it won't be long before you get into selfish ambition. I love what Mark said. You know, comparing church sizes is just like boys in the locker room, you know, and it is, you know, as a guy, you meet other guys. Um, before I was in ministry. And the first question you ask another guy is, what do you do for a living? And we don't care what you do for a living. No one cares. What we want to know is, how much roughly do you earn? How much money do you make? So we can have a little hierarchy. And when I go to pastor's conferences, how many are you running? How many are you running? 
And what they mean is, where are you on the hierarchy? It's the same question. It's just now all religiousified. Oh, you know, not into it. The King James has a great word, vain glory. In other words, you get glory from things that are nothing. They mean nothing. You magnify things that don't matter. Always keep what matters. I reckon if we sat down and said, how many disciples have you made this year? How many people? They see, D.L. Moody said this, the greatest man is not the man with the most servants. It's the man who serves the most. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't grow a church and churches shouldn't grow. I'm all about numbers. I'm all about counting. I'm all about growing. But in the midst of that, I don't want to be counting things that don't matter. I don't want to get involved in vain glory. I want to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. I want to change the UK. There's the temptation to become a hypocrite. One of the things that shocked me when I entered ministry, I'd never thought of this before I entered ministry, never crossed my mind, that certain ministers don't behave the same in private they do in public. I've invited a few and they've come and spoke for Tree of Life and they're not the same in private. I never judge a minister on how they treat me. I never judge them on how well they preach. I judge them on how well they treat the waiter when we go out for dinner afterwards. Because when you're different, when you're in public and you're on stage and you're preaching, and it's not a preach, it's a performance. And it's what the Bible calls hypocrisy. The, the word hypocrites, the Greek word hypocrites, means under, hupo, under a kritos, under a mask. And it was actually an actor. And you'd wear the mask to show a smile, to show a sad face. So that's how you show if you are happy. And that's how you show who you are acting like. And underneath the mask, they were maybe in a different emotion, but the mask was over them. Don't ever be a masked person. Be yourself. No, there's a balance to that, isn't there? You know, you don't have to let it all hang out. You get to church grumpy. You've had a row with a wife and you've had a row with the kids. You've had a row with the dog before you even started church. One of your deacons has phone jumps. I'm sorry. I know I was supposed to be setting up today. I can't. And you've got to get to church an hour early and you're still preaching. You're... You know, I understand that happens, you know, and then when the the, the, the prayer team arrives and the worship team arrives, you can't go, I can't believe these people do, no, 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 you've got to be above that. But it's got to be authentic, you've got to authentically deal with that and authentically live above that. You know, just don't be inconsistent. Learn to live right in private as well as public. Get that right. Number eight is the temptation to become a gossip. The more your leadership capacity grows, the more things you know. People tell me things that they wouldn't ever have told me when I was a school teacher or running a restaurant and coming to church, I know things. The more you grow, the more you'll get to know. But if you're speaking behind people's backs, you're a coward. You're dishonest. You're a weak leader. You have to learn not to backbite. And the more your leadership capacity grows, the more you have to keep your mouth shut. Now, yes, it's absolutely fair to discuss issues with the appropriate people. Okay, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, he says, Chloe has told me that there's fornication going on in this church. So Chloe was probably a pastor. She might have been an elder. She had a church met in her house. She might have been an elder. If it was like a, a small group, she's you know, it's a big church. She's equipping. She's a pastor. You know, it's okay for a woman to be an elder. It's okay for a woman to be a pastor. And Chloe said to Paul, who is an apostle, Paul, there's fornication in the church. Can, can you help me here? I don't know how to deal with it. Now, there's nothing wrong with that kind of stuff. There's nothing wrong with me phoning up Shane, saying, Shane, there's a couple of my church doing ABC. I don't know how to deal with it, right? I'm talking about gossip. I'm talking about someone who knows, someone who doesn't, can't help you solve the problem, someone who you're just telling people to get it off your chest, to do this, to do that, to paint sides, to get... No, don't ever do that. Don't ever do that. Number nine is the temptation to idolize people. I've seen so many young pastors make idols of people above them. 
No, look to Jesus. Like, don't make an idol of the boat. Look to Jesus. What a powerful illustration that was. I'm gonna, I've, I've bought that book. I'm going to read it at some point this week. You know, and then we use flattery to manipulate the people above us. Okay? We use flattery to gain the system and manipulation to get our own way so we can run the church the way we want. That's not how you should develop. That's not how you should move forward. And it's not sustainable in the long term. I'm not saying you shouldn't have heroes, but there's no one man who's the be all and end all of everything. Number 10 is the temptation to indifference. You know, when you start believing your own press reports and you start to genuinely believe you're better than other people, then you're never going to support the people who supported you. You're never going to help them. You lose focus. You, you, you're there for the people. They're not there for you. You're there to serve them, to help their dreams come true. They're not there to help your dreams come true. If you're the church planter, you're the apostle, you're the pastor, you're the leader, and you don't realize this, and you become indifferent to people, it will not be fun for anyone to go to your church. Number 11 is the temptation to close the circle. In other words, you only hang around with the leaders. You only have this little clique, and that becomes an important thing. You get in the in crowd, you drop the out crowd. You're the, you're the cool guy. You're the coolest kid in town now because you're the pastor. You ignore the people who've been faithful, who've been part of your tribe, who've helped make things happen, and you hang out with the cool kids. There was a, a church in America recently. I'm sure you've heard of the situation. The pastor committed adultery, had to resign. Uh, one of the you know, biggest speculators, they sent a, a, a Christian newspaper, sent a reporter to the church. And well, they found out that the whole culture of the church was just mangled, that there were special corridors only the pastors could walk down because they didn't want to walk into people. There were special seats. So you would be kept 50 to 100 feet away from the pastors unless you're like a celebrity, or unless you're like a football player or something. You know, and they had this whole thing. And it just when you close a circle like that, you learn to disvalue people. So, of course, you can disvalue your wife. Of course, you can disvalue this woman on the street that you met because you don't understand people. You don't value people. You've closed a circle. You've created a clique. And the 12th temptation is the temptation for religious pride. You start acting like a showman. You start creating hype. You make a name for yourself. You know, when David killed Goliath, the women started singing. They said, Saul's killed his thousands. David's killed his tens of thousands. No, he hadn't killed one. Don't believe your own hype. Don't believe the songs they sing about you. You know, never exalt what you've done by God's grace above that grace. I mean, ask yourself these questions. Is your leadership, is your ability to church plant, is your ability to move forward, is it based on your character? Because that's the only place that's going to lead you to healthy leadership. That's the only place that's going to enable you to empower people. Because you start empowering someone and you've got bad character and they start shining you, because, oh man, he was so good. You're going to go wonky. Do you feel superior to the people who volunteer for you or work for you? Do you feel like you're better than that? What's your work-life balance like? Is the org chart more important than real human connections? Do you rely too much on your plans and not on your intuition? How much time do you spend building bridges with people? How much satisfaction do you get from all those little perks you get being a leader? Do you denigrate other people's hearts, other people's motivations, what other people have achieved? Is it about your dream or is it about their dreams? Are you building a community or building cliques? Are you behaving in ways that somebody says, we think you might have an ego problem? These are questions about character. And I'm not saying get into deep introspection. I'm not talking about beating yourself up. I'm talking about getting into a healthy assessment of who you are. Be careful you don't fall. Recognize that God's grace is on your life and God has called you. 
but recognize at the same time you can veer off that grace you can get on the wrong course and you need to pause and work on character and work on heart issues and there's never a day you don't there's never a day you get so good you don't have to work on character anymore not until the day you die this is the most difficult task you have you can't delegate it you cannot delegate this to anybody it's leading yourself working on yourself learning to walk in the spirit oh it's so much easier to tell other people what to do than do it and the more people you're telling what to do and the more people are getting success because of you, the harder it is for you to sit down and say, right now, you need to sort yourself out too. No one else can keep you on track. Only you can. Jesus was very clear. You can want to be a leader for the wrong reasons. There's a devil out there who wants to destroy your character. We know character is foundational to Christian leadership. We know it can be much easier to focus on all the other parts of leadership rather than character. But the only thing that will get you through the toughest of times is character. Nothing else. You have to walk worthy of your calling. I've found over the last decade, working on my character is never ending, but it's always worthwhile. And I want to be a worthy leader. I know I fall short, but I want to have better character. And I want to encourage you to improve your character, not to get what you want, not to get what you want, not to gain more, but to be who you need to be. Love the unlovely. Don't worship the trappings of leadership. Keep your mind on Jesus, honoring everybody who makes what you do and planting that church possible. Lead yourself, and then you can lead others. I'll stop there because Shane is there ready, and I'm pretty much sure I've ended the time for this session. No, you but can keep going. My only thing I'd want to end with is this. Mm. Character is really what leads to trust. Now, mm. character alone is not enough to make you a leader. There, there, there's skills involved. But if mm. your character is not where it should be, that's the number one thing that's going to derail your leadership. And one of the skills, one of the greatest skills of leadership, one of the, I, I talk about the three skills of leadership, I'm not going to do it here, but it's persuading people to come with you. If no one comes with you, you're not a leader. You're just a guy going on a walk. But people don't follow people they can't trust. Here's an interesting thing. Here's an interesting study they did. That if you get someone, I'm not going to ask you to do it now just for time's sake. If you ask someone a name, the, 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 the number, the top five people they trust. Most people, one, two, and three are family members, people they trust. But if you ask people, name the mm. top five people who make a difference to how happy you are. The top three people are people you work with because they make you unhappy. They make you happy. You spend most of your life in work. But we don't trust these people. We need to build churches, and especially we've got people working for us, volunteering for us, where they trust us. And how can they trust us? Character. Character is how you build trust with these people. Uh, There's a book I could recommend. It's not a Christian book, but um, you can Christianize it. It's by Stephen Covey. It's called The Speed of Trust. We'll see how quickly Shane can find it on Amazon. Stephen Covey, Speed of Trust, and he talks about how broken trust always costs time and always costs money. Broken trust always breaks things. And the number one cause of loss of turnover in business, turnover of staff, lack of trust. People don't quit jobs. They quit, quit their bosses. People don't leave churches. They leave the pastor. Mm. And Stephen Covey has this illustration about 9-11. Some of you, hopefully you all remember 9-11. It's getting longer and longer ago now. The nation lost trust. The nation of America, the whole world, lost trust in flying. Now, I remember flying before 9-11. I'm old enough to remember that. And you could turn up at the airport 15 minutes before the plane took off, and you were fine. you get on the plane, you go. Now you've got to turn up three hours before because they've got to check this and check that. Everything's changed. What has that cost the economy? Hmm. What has that cost people? How does that cost people's lives? The cost in time for flying is astronomical. The cost in flying almost doubled. Hmm. So trust 
It's what's built by character. I could talk a lot more on this, but I just want you to think about this for yourselves and just think about character. And, and if, you, if you imagine it's like a building, the deeper you build your character, that's the deeper the foundation is, then the stronger and build, bigger you can build the building. Mm-hmm. There's a, a, an invisible foundation. That's your character. There's a visible fruitfulness. That's your building. And we need to build both. You know, every one of us, if you're called the church plant, there's something about you. It's in your soul. It's in your heart. I want to build. I want to create. I want to discover. I want to invent. I want to lead. That's great. And people will celebrate that. People always celebrate when you build something. Someone gets healed. When someone gets saved. When something new happens. When you get a new building. You start church number seven. People celebrate that. Nobody's ever celebrated the hours I spent meditating on First Corinthians. No one's ever had a round of applause for me for the hours I spent praying in tongues and for denying my flesh certain things. All the Bible study, no. But if you don't have that foundation, you can't build the other stuff. And sometimes, because that's celebrated and visible, you forget about the other things. Mm. You've got to be able to put morality above economics. Mm. We've got to have a drive to build and build foundational things. And if you build a great foundation, I guarantee you this, the building will be successful. And again, everyone said the same thing. It comes back to your walk with the Lord. And here's the thing. Character builds trust. If you don't work on your character, if you're cutting corners and being sneaky and doing stuff you shouldn't be, do you know who's the number one person who's going to stop trusting you before anyone else? It's you. You're going to lose your self-trust, or you could say like this, you're going to lose your Mm self-respect. And then that's going to cost you confidence, boldness, initiative, imagination, all of it's going to work. Your spirit's right before God. You all know that. You know your spirit's righteous. I know what I'm talking to today. But character is basically lining your soul up with your righteousness in your spirit. Do you think like a righteous man? Do you act like a righteous man? Do you feel like a righteous man? And when those things connect, you win. You win in life in every battle. So take some time. You know, you won't be able to do it during this conference, but take some time. Embrace what's good. Reflect on what's important to you. What are your non-negotiables? What lines will you never cross to build your church? How are you going to handle power when it's given to you? How are you going to act when your pastor's not watching over your shoulder every day because you're 200 miles away, 300 miles away, all country away, all continent away? How are you going to protect yourself from improper behavior, from some lady fluttering her eyelids at you? What are you going to do? And how am I going to take time in my life to stop, pause, and rethink this as my ministry grows? And as your leadership capacity grows, some behaviors that might have been fine now are not fine anymore. You have to take something off the lid, add something to the list. You've got to have a process of this. Mm. Characters leading you. You want to lead hundreds of people. You want to lead thousands of people. Lead yourself. Love people with agape love. Don't Mm. get caught up in self-adoration. Don't get caught up in the songs they sing about you. Deliberately make it harder. Build an environment where it's harder for you to be selfish. Mm. Set things up to build your character. Mm. You know, if nothing else, Every time you're tempted to believe your adulation, believe this, believe that, you know, you don't have to, you know, none of us are at the same level as, let's say, Matthew Barnett, we're pastoring tens of thousands of people, and we have to go and live on the streets for two days. But you could at least pick up the phone and phone up the most horrible person in your church, not if they're watching this, because then they'll know why you called, but phone up the most horrible person in your church and say, man, I love you. How can I help you today? What can I do for you? And do it, because that's why you're there. Build your character. Awesome. Over to you, Shane. Thank you.
So if any of our leaders get a phone call from me in the next couple of hours, <laughs> I don't really know why. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I don't. Uh, yeah. I, I love all my leaders. They're, you guys are awesome. So thanks, Ben. That was really uh, uh, awesome. Uh, there's no other word I can can describe it with. Uh, we have one question um, so far. If you have a question, please feel free to uh, uh, post it. And um, you know, we 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 really uh, got a good uh, time slot with Ben, and that he's going to be taking the next session, and then we've got an interactive session straight afterwards together. So uh, uh, now's an opportunity to to kind of milk him, <laughs> get out of him what you can, because uh, there's a lot. Uh, of people worldwide that would be seeking to receive from him and uh, the wisdom that he's got. So the question is, you have effectively raised up leaders. How do you do it? That's an awesome question. I always say God's always given me the leaders I need, but he's always given them to me in kit form. I've had to assemble them. And that's what we do. We assemble people. And sure. there's a scripture that's not in the Bible. And it says this, train a leader up in the way they should go. And when they're older, they won't depart from it. In other yeah. words, just like raising children, it's not my job to impose myself on them and make them me and make them who I want to be and who I wish I was and whatever else. And it's the same with the leaders. So I see it like this. I see a football pitch and, and I know we had your American who lives in Switzerland call it soccer earlier, you know, soccer. Okay. I'm from <laughs> England. It's football. It's a foot. It's a ball. It's football. Okay. So I always see myself and I use this illustration a lot of my pastors there's a football pitch. And my job as the leader of Tree of Life is to say, these are the guidelines. If you go out here, it doesn't look like Tree of Life anymore. So we can't go out here. But I don't want to tell you where to play on the pitch. I don't want to tell you exactly where to stand. I want to say, this is the boundaries of what Tree of Life looks like. And where do you best fit in? What are your gifts? What are your abilities? And so, again, there's no magic secret to this. It's loving people, caring for people, finding out what their dreams are, helping them work stuff out. Never be afraid to say no to potential leaders as well. That's a lot of pastors scared to say no to people who've got sort of that kind of promise, that kind of, wow, they, they, they look good. You know, Paul chose Timothy, Philippians 2.22. So Paul wanted to do a conference in Philippi um, because the Philippians were in strife. There was two evangelists in the church in Philippi. They were fighting, the two of them, two ladies. They're both arguing with each other so publicly. The whole church knows about it. The church is in trouble. And Paul says, I want to come and do a conference and just help set things right, because that's my ministry. And then Paul gets put in jail, so now he can't go. So he says, I've chosen mm -hmm. Timothy. Philippians 2.22 says, I've got none like him. Why did he choose Timothy to go to Philippi? Was it because he's the best preacher? He's the most anointed. He's got the best gifts of healings and miracles. No, he says, there's none like him who care for your state. Hmm. In other words, they genuinely care about whether the church. Timothy didn't go to say, man, I'm going to preach in Philippi. That's one of the biggest churches in the world. I'm going to get a big offering. I'm going to get this. No, I care about those people. I genuinely care about those people. I want to get them helped. That's how you build up leaders. You genuinely care about people and want to see them released. And it's not easy. Absolutely. It's hard. But it's about love. It's about time. It's about investing in people. There's no shortcut. There's no secret. It's just investing in people. And again, helping those people see character. That's the foundation of everything. And then the next thing is capability. Can they do the job? It's easier to teach capability than character. I'd yep. rather yep. find a faithful person and teach them how to do the job than find someone to do the job and teach them how to be faithful. Mm. And then the third one, I never had the third one. Dwayne Sheriff had to take me aside years ago and say, Ben, you need to implement this in your leadership training um, because we had some troubles with a couple of leaders. It's compatibility. Do they get on with you? 
Are you happy to go out and have lunch with them? Are you happy to spend time with them? Because you're doing things your way and God's put you in charge of that church. And if they can't submit to you and do things that way, then they're not going to be leadership material. You know, sometimes the best thing to do is nudge them onto another church. Because maybe they fit another church better or maybe they're just being a bit prideful and they need to sort some stuff out. But look for those things and work out how you can build them into people. And I think, Ben, there's such a gold nugget in what you've just said with regard to church planting and pastoring. And that is realizing that you can never be a church for everyone, although you can you, you want to embrace anyone. Yeah. You're not the church for everyone because um, you're, you're going to get the person who's got a different vision than you. You're going to get the person who thinks that really strongly believes that it should be done like this. And those people, you might believe the same. You might enjoy them. But um, you, you, you can't build together and it's going to just take it's going to be division, like Greg Moore was saying, two visions is going to bring division. So we need unity around that. A another question um, off of leadership and onto uh, just ministering and pastoring. When do you dust your feet off and move on from someone who seems like they're not receiving? That's a great question. Mm. That is a great question. Um, first of all, I'd say that the way shake the dust off your feet has been presented in a lot of charismatic churches is almost like a sort of cursing kind of thing. Mm. You know, I'm shaking the dust off my feet. I'm walking out the door. You're just dust. I'm sh No, shaking the dust off the feet is not about judging them. It's about your feet. Mm. It's about you saying, this isn't going to dust my life up. This isn't going to hurt me anymore. Wow. Okay, I'm not going to take any more care of this. I need clean feet to do what mm. God's called me to do. You know, Jesus washed the disciples' feet. The feet is your point of contact with the world. That's where we get oh. dusty. That's where we get dirty. So don't see it as a arm slamming, the, you know. You're just moving on because it's what you need to do. And so, you know, what, I, what I'm happy with is anybody can come. Like, like Shane said, anybody can come to Tree of Life. Anyone can sit in the church. Anyone can be there. I don't care. We've got people sitting there who are living together, unmarried. We've got people in all sorts of lifestyles coming and sitting in the church. And they're welcome. Everybody's welcome. But what I won't allow is for yeast to infect the rest of the dough. Mm -hmm. And that's when I have to put my good shepherd hat on and say, I'm not going to allow you to come in here as a wolf in sheep's clothing and devour our sheep. Yeah. And that's when you have to put a stop to certain things, mm. when someone is injuring and hurting other sheep. And so, again, the, the last resort is to excommunicate someone from the church. That's the last, last, there's a lot of things you do. You pray. You sit down and take this person out for coffee and try and understand where they're coming from. And why would they do that? Why would they try and split a church? Why would they try and attack someone? Why would they try and lie to someone to get money out of them? I mean, th these are all things I've had to deal with. And so you, you want to hit, you want to hit these things head on. Don't don't. What you must never do is put your head under the sand. And just hope it gets better. It won't. And that's what a lot of pastors do. No, you're going to have to hit these things head on. And especially, listen, everyone, you know, we're talking to church planters here. Especially when a church is new. Mm. Let's say Shane's got a church of ten thousand, and I've got a church of twenty, right? And there's one guy who wants to disrupt the church. Because he wants a platform. He wants this. He wants that. He wants his voice to be heard. He hasn't got a very good voice, but he wants his voice to be heard. He hasn't, doesn't know the Lord that well, but he's a little bit arrogant. He's a bit cocky. He wants his voice to be heard. If he goes to Shane's church, he is less than 0.1% of that church. 
Mm. He's not going to be able to take things over. There's a whole structure in place. That church is going to have systems and a way of dealing with people. Mm. Like that. It's not going to be an issue. He comes to your church. You haven't written any systems yet. Everyone knows how to do your worship your way because everyone's just started in your church. You've never mm. written it down. You never codified anything. And now he's 5% of the voice of that church. That's a huge amount. Yeah. So actually, it's counterintuitive. When a church is larger, you can actually let these people stay. But actually, when your church is small, you think, no, we need everybody. That's actually the most important time to say to somebody, listen, I don't think you fit this church. And I don't think you want to. Mm. You know, if I think they want to and they're trying and they want to, they're not harming others, come on. But then you see some people, they don't. They want to disrupt the church. They Sometimes even they feel God's called them there to disrupt the church. They actually feel that's their destiny. Those people, I said, no, you, you can't come to our church under this. Mm. And, you know, I, I've, ne I've never really excommunicated someone. What happens is I say to someone, you can't come back until the two of us have gone out for coffee. Going out is good because then if they smack you in the nose, it's in public. Okay. <laughs> and, and secondly, coffee is good because you can walk out halfway through a cup of coffee. I, you know, you can see I find it difficult to walk out halfway through lunch. I want to finish my lunch. <laughs> so just a coffee. And then I can walk away at any time and we're in public. No one's going to shout at anyone. No one's going to throw the plates at anyone and sit down and say, why are you doing this? And if you're going to come back to truth life, you can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do this. And then what I do is I'll say, I will email you after this meeting with these conditions. And then you email me back. That way we've got it in writing. They can't turn around and say, you never said that. That never happened. Oh, I didn't think you meant that. I thought what you meant was I could prophesy over everybody in the church. Whenever I liked interrupt while you're preaching. Because you get those sort of games playing. Though. So nobody, I've never actually kicked anyone out of the church, as far as I remember, might have been one person, but it's just people won't come after they see their email. They said, no, I'm not coming. I'm not going to come back. And that, yeah. that's fine. Um, I'll give it to you in really graphic terms. You, you're, you're all church plan. You're all mature Christians. You can handle a little bit, right? If someone is messing about in your church, wash their feet and love them. Either they'll repent like Peter or they'll go and hang themselves like Judas. Either way, the problem solved, you can move on. Mm. So, thank you, Ben. We've got another question. Um, do you want to take it now or do you want to get into That's the next fine. question? Let's do it. We're here. Do you have any encouraging stories about a Judas who did a 180? Ooh, even Judas didn't do a 180. Come on now. That's a big ask. <laughs> we have had people. We have had people. And so one of the things I teach is um, when someone leaves a church, not everyone who leaves a church is the same. Mm. So Jesus tells the parable of the lost sheep. Mm. The lost sheep gets lost because it just gets distracted. It just gets distracted by things. Oh, look at that. You know, and what happens when the lost sheep? You go and find the lost sheep. The shepherd went and found the lost sheep, went and found him. Mm. And so there's some people, why are you going at church on Sunday? Well, I had to towel the bathroom. I had to wash the car. I had to get ready for work. I had to do this. Got my exams, blah, blah, blah. Listen, I'm going to come pick you up on Sunday, okay? I think you need to be in church. Okay, let's do that then. And that's what happens. And you mm -hmm. went and found them and you brought them in your car. You didn't put them on your shoulders. You just brought them in your car and you took them to church. You found the lost sheep. You're being a good shepherd. And you should be building that as your church grows. So that's not just your job, but your whole church has that pastoral um, mindset, mentality, paradigm where they start doing that. But mm -hmm. the lost son, the lost son, he didn't get lost that distraction. He said, I want my inheritance. I want it now. There are certain things which you don't think I'm ready for, Father, but I am ready for and I want them now. 
You might not think I'm ready to preach, Pastor, but I can preach and I want to preach next Sunday. Oh, I'm leaving this church. Well, off you go then. They've left like a lost son. They've left because they couldn't inherit what you had to give them because they weren't prepared to take the time and, and they were too impatient to get it over time. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had people come to our church first Sunday. I'm a pastor. What are you doing here then? It's Sunday morning. Why aren't you with your church? I don't have a church yet. God's told me to come here and be a pastor here. Okay, well, let's just wait till God reveals to me. No, you don't understand. I want to preach next Sunday. Okay, you might be called to be a pastor, but you're not going to manifest it doing that. Well, I'm off then. Okay, well, I thought God called you here to be a pastor. But he only called you for one Sunday. Okay, got you. You know, and you have that kind of foolishness. (laughs) Now, those people, if you go out and get them, you're going to make it worse. Mm -hmm. The father never went out to get the son. He waited until the son came to his senses. I love what Mark said about Europe. You know, well, prodigal sons are too well fed to come to their senses. And it's the same spiritually. They'll walk out your church and there's another church down the road and they'll go there for a year. And then they'll walk out that church offended. We've got people come to our church now. We've been in 10 different churches the last 10 years. Offended at all of them. Um, some, of, some of our churches now, because you know, Dagenham's in London, there's a lot of churches around. But some of our churches now in smaller towns, people have made the rounds. Now they've come back again. Because they, they know and they'll be just long enough to go to the next one next. Mm. you know and so you have to wait for those people to come to the census it has happened a couple of times people come to the census one lady in particular she came back after a couple of years away she's like everything's moved forward everyone's grown i haven't i need to come back that was quite nice mm. you know and so what do i tell people in that situation is this when the prodigal son came home okay just so we don't get too cynical here when the prodigal son came home the father said go and kill the fatted calf how many of you know you don't fatten a calf in the morning? Takes months to fatten a calf. Takes a long, long time. Every day, that dad, he didn't go and get his son. He needed his son to come to his senses. But what did he do? Every day he fed the calf. He overfed the calf. And he overfed the calf the next day. And he overfed the calf the next day until that calf was ready for barbecue. What was he doing? Every day he was overfeeding the calf, celebrating the return of his son. Sure. He had faith. He was expecting. He was believing. He was preparing. And so I tell my pastor, you keep your heart right. They might walk in this Sunday. They might. I was in one of our churches. I said, keep your heart right. They might return this Sunday. And as I said it, they walked in the door. And they came in. Hmm. And the very elders they had a problem with were the first people to go over and hug them. So I've seen it happen. I have seen it happen a couple of times. It doesn't always happen. Maybe that. Maybe there's more times in my future about people who've walked out in the past. I don't know. Hmm. But you keep your expectations. You keep your heart right. You keep the, the calf fatted. And what I mean by that is keep your heart right. When they come back in, they go, oh, man, they're back. You know, they came back. Well, let, let, let's love them and bless them and let's give them the, mm. the fat calf. Mm. 